In this modern age, too many people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. So now, in the spirit of the original tradition, American Christmas. <laughs> Those over at the jail campus, you guys are part of our church family. We love you, and we want you to know that you're welcomed in here at our church. So come on, church. Welcome them all in. Love you guys, men, women over there. So here's what we're doing with this series. Uh, so here's, a, here's my, here's, I'm just going to share a little transparency with you. Um, I started decorating for Christmas this past week. Um, I do not turn lights on until after Thanksgiving. It is, uh, I, I believe that's a cardinal sin, and I do believe that a reindeer is drowned by a elf if you turn your lights on before Christmas, okay? I just, that's, I, I saw it on the internet, it's gotta be true. But, <laughs> so, uh, here's, so I've been decorating, and I, you know, you get, the, you start off all excited, you're like, okay, let's go, I got, my, my kids are getting older, so I got their help, and so we go out to the barn, and we grab all the buckets of lights, and the, the containers and and they get them all ready and and we go through them and you know the first thing you gotta do you gotta take them all out and then you gotta un untangle them and then after you've untangled them i don't know why we do it in that order but we plug them in to find out if they work or not right so we curse at the lights as we're untangling we plug it in and it doesn't work we curse again okay uh it, of course it's 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 church cussing gosh darn it those lights I would never allow a real curse word to come from my lips, ever. Um, those of you that are new, I'm sarcastic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I get them. We go through that whole thing. My, my oldest son and I, we go out there. It's, it's pretty nice. You know, it's been mild. Go out there, wrap the bushes. We get them all out there. And, of course, the last moment, you know, you have that Griswold moment, like, and there's about six bushes that don't light up. And you start cursing at the lights again. And by the time it's 9 o'clock at night, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm done. I've, I now hate Christmas, okay? <laughs> I, here's the thing. I hate decorating for Christmas. I really do. I, I despise it. I, I, it's like one of those within me. I think my mother-in-law has made this worse because she loves it so much. So it's within me. I've got to hate it. She loves it. I hate it. Uh, so uh, so we, we were uh, going through this process. But So, so this is though a part that I enjoy about Christmas. I absolutely am so pumped for this series because I get to totally ruin your Christmas. Yeah, I do. This, this series is going to mess up your Christmas. Uh, here's what's going to happen because our society, our, our, our world has commercialized Christmas. So I don't even need to spend much time messing with that. But then Christianity has soft-pedaled and given us this like, really pathetic clean version of the nativity and i am just going to take that i'm going to throw it on the ground and i'm going to reveal what the real christmas story is yeah you ready 
I'm excited. Be excited. Uh, by the time this is over, you'll, I'll just warning you, you're going to have to take your nativity set. You're going to have to throw it in some mud, then put it back up. It'll be more, like, more realistic. So, anyway, <laughs> this is so much fun. I love, like, some of your faces like, jerk. Like, yes, that's, no, we, we are, so let's go. Uh, this is, uh, we're going to start, <coughs> excuse me, right at the beginning. So there's four biographies of, <coughs> my goodness. <coughs> my mic's up here, so I can't really cover it up to cough. Uh, so there's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we call them the Gospels, but they really are biographies of Jesus and what he did while he's on this earth. So uh, some of them uh, were eyewitnesses, some of them knew eyewitnesses and wrote the story that the eyewitnesses gave them. But we're going to start with Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 is where we are going to begin because he was an eyewitness, a disciple of Jesus. And here we go. You guys ready? It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Man, oh man. This, you should get like really excited at this moment. Okay, because that word, so really quick, if you're new here, there's something I say like every Sunday that it's when you study scripture, it's really important. Number one, that you study in what? Oh man, see how smart this church is. Number two, it is, and number three, okay, so let's go with some linguistic language uh, context. That word genealogy is the word in Greek that looks like that. Anybody want to pronounce that for me? I took three years of Greek and I can't pronounce it. But if you put it into English, it looks like this. Now, anybody guessing what that word is in English? Anybody? Let's go. Throw it up there. Give them the answer. Genesis. The origin story. So this is the origin story of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this gets me like excited. Because when you see that, it is the origin story. Now, it, I'm a big Marvel fan. I love the origin stories, okay? When they get, like, you go back and you find out where they came from. Star Trek, you got the new ones coming out. You know, you get the origin of it. And I'll, I'll be honest, movies are great, great uh, storytellers. I mean, that's what they do. They tell us a story, they capture us. And the intros to, story, to movies really grab you. I mean, like the James Bonds movies, they just pull you into it. Uh, the, the, uh, my, I'll, I'll give you one of my favorites, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Come on, who's with me on this? Come on, I guess, give me some men up in this house, okay? So, here, here I'll be like, so Raiders of the Ark, Lost Ark actually came out uh, as not Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. It came out as Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. I was two years old, okay? Uh, so uh, that kind of, oh, we're all like, yeah, that, I remember where that, when, oh, crud, I'm old. Um, <laughs> that's what I did. So th this movie, though, is the origin of Indiana Jones. And the intro to this movie, if you remember it, pulls you into it. It's that moment, so it starts off, the Paramount uh, mountain fades away, and it's looking at a mountain, the same, and here they are, they're going through the jungle. Come on, it's, and you're, you're like right there, as soon as it starts, and you're walking through the jungle with them, and you're, you, you see them in front of you, and there's this courageous group of people, and they're slashing through it, and then they get to a place where there's these vines and one of the guys slashes it and the stone carving is revealed and he looks it in the eyes and he screams and he goes running off and the, the music begins to build. And it's like, yeah. It's like, what's happening? Here we go. And then you see the, 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 the courageous, bold leader as he goes on, but he's faceless. You don't see him yet. You, you just kind of just, you can see from, from his shoulders down and he comes up to a tree and there's an arrow and he pulls it out and drops it. 
And then these two sketchy looking dudes come up and they pick it up and, oh, it's poisonous. <laughs> and you're like, those dudes are bad. You know, from right from the beginning, those dudes are not good. And so you're like, oh, here we go. And they get to a riverbank. This is all within the first couple of minutes, I mean, minute and 30 seconds in the movie. And you're like, yes, here we go. And they get to the, there and it shows the, this leader that you still haven't seen his face. And he opens up the map that's faded and torn. And then you hear the gun. You see the gun come up and then The whip, the gun falls to the ground. It goes off, and out of the shadows into the sunlight steps Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh, man. And you are, like, you're in it. You're ready. There's nothing going to distract you from seeing the rest of this movie because you're involved. Now, that is, I love Indiana Jones. I love the epic story that it gives to you. They, they, they kind of fade off. They're coming out with a new one in 2021. We'll see. Uh, I, I hear Harrison Ford's going to be in it, if, if he's still alive. Um, but <laughs> so he—they—they they have. Uh, but uh, this—it's a good story. But this story that Matthew was writing in Matthew chapter one is the most epic of epic stories. So how do you think he is going to begin it? He begins it like this. Oh yeah, you ready? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. You guys on the edge of your seat yet? Nobody? I know it's missing. We need some music. Can you help me out, guys? We need some music. Here we go. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadad. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salam. Salomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother has been Uriah's wife. Uh, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam was the father of Jezebel, Jezebel the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jerob, Jerob the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaziah, Ahaziah the father of Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, Josiah was the father of Jehoshaphat, and his brothers in the at the time of the exile of Babylon, and after the exile of Babylon. Jehokim was the father of Shelatil. Shelatil was the father of Zuru. Zuru was the father of Abedin. Abedin was the father of Ilika. was the father of 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 And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the I'm glad you guys enjoyed that, because that is utterly boring. It finishes off. Let me finish. The, Thus, there were 14 generations and all from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. I need to work out more. Okay, so my, this is like, what, what did you do, Matthew? Like, you, seriously, you begin the most epic of stories with a list of names. And the truth is, why did he do this? It is because this is absolutely 
one of the most epic introductions to Jesus you could have. You just don't get it. Because you don't know the context. So, let's look at the context. Matthew, the eyewitness of Jesus, who was there with Jesus when he was arrested, was there when Jesus showed his wounds and, was res- and showed that he would have been resurrected, was there when Jesus was ascended to heaven, is writing to a church in 70, 65 AD to 80 AD. So 70 years after Jesus, or 40, 40 years after Jesus has gone, roughly, he is writing this to a group of believers in Antioch in Syria. So this is a city. Uh, let me show you on a map so you can get an idea. It's 350 miles from Jerusalem, where most likely Matthew is writing, to the church that is in Antioch. And there they are, waiting to hear about Jesus. Because for, for some 40, 50 years, they have been hearing and talking about this Jesus, who was their Messiah, who was supposed to kick Rome out. And all the peace was supposed to come. He even said he was the peace of the earth, and all this was supposed to happen. But while they're waiting, Rome is kicking their butts. Literally, to the point in 70 AD, the entire city of Jerusalem is ransacked, completely destroyed. What is going on? They thought they had a Messiah. So Matthew is writing to a group of believers who are primarily a group of Jews and some non-Jews, some Greeks, or we, we would say Gentiles, the Bible language would call it. And he's writing to this group there, and he's giving them this letter about Jesus. And he begins by stating one of the, in the most clearest of fashion that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. This is where he begins. The Messiah. Now, some of your Bibles, some of your translations are going to say that is, that is about Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't two names. It's not a first name and last name. It's not Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. That's not what this is. Christ is a title. So Jesus is his name. It's the, it's the English version of the Greek name that was transliterated from the Hebrew. So I'll save you from all that. But let's just call him Jesus is his first name. The second part of that, Christ or Messiah, is th- it looks like this. This is the Greek version of Christ. This is a transliteration that comes from the Hebrew Messiah, but it looks like the Christos and then Christ is what it would we would translate the anointed one That's what it means the anointed one the Messiah the Christ so Messiah is the Greek or the Hebrew Christ is the Greek both of them mean the same thing anointed one From the from the prophets on the Hebrew Hebrew nation the Israelites the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah A Messiah who would come in and rule his kingdom and restore it to the way it was supposed to be. In fact, Jesus used this this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for a child, many of you have heard, seen this, and, and when you come to this season, you'll hear this verse. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and a government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There it is. That is who they have been waiting for. But right now, there is nothing wonderful. There doesn't seem to be any Mighty God. And there sure as heck ain't any peace. 
but Matthew begins by reassuring, this is Jesus, who is the Messiah. He's the one. He's the one that, we've been, that was prophesied about. This is the one who fulfilled the prophecy. This is the Messiah. But he's also connecting it to something else that Matthew does in detail. He says his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David. David. This is Isaiah. Now look what Jesus does next. It keeps reading the passionate commitment of the Lord in heavens and will make this happen. Look at back at this genealogy of Jesus, of the Messiah, the son of David. There's your second blank in your notes there on the back side. So Jesus is this, uh, the, Jesus, the Messiah. He is Lord. He is proclaiming that Matthew is. But then he does secondly, he is the son of David. Now this is where he begins to drill down and he hammers home the fact that David is so important here. In fact, if you look at the top there, it says that this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Then you see in the, in the, uh, that he's in the genealogy. And then at the very end, he caps it all off by making sure it's all focused on who? David. David. And then he emphasizes this point. 14 generations. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David. David, there was 14 generations from David to the exile. And then 14 generations from David, uh, from the exile to the Messiah. So what is happening here? This is what is happening. In the Hebrew language, it's called uh, German. It's where you put numbers to language, to, to numbers, or numbers to letters. So in the Hebrew language, and most ancient languages have this going on. So when they learn math, they learn it by using the letters. So here they are. They are doing the, this to, the, to each letter has a value. So in the word name, David, there are three letters. The A and the I are not in the Hebrew language. They, they don't have any vowels. They just have the consonants. Yes, those things. Then this, there is value to each one of these. So in the Hebrew, it looks like this. And each one of these is valued at four, six, and four, which equals 14. He's pointing this number out. David, 14. 14 generations. In fact, he's so specific about this. If you look at the, the, uh, the actual genealogy in Second Chronicles that mirrors this, he actually removes a couple people to make it work for 15, 14. He's making a point here. He's trying to point you to who? David. Look at David. It's so important that you understand that David is the centerpiece of this genealogy. So he's saying, hey, all you Jews up there in Antioch, I want you to understand David, your favorite king, the one who was the best of best kings, the one who was a man after God's own heart, the one who is the example that everybody wants their Israel to look like. They all wanted to look like when David was king. So they're doing everything they can to make it look like David's kingdom. And he goes, Jews, that's your Messiah. Right there, David. But then he continues on. So Jesus the Messiah, son of David. And then he says that he is the son of Abraham. Why does he do this? Well, we need to understand this. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. It says that, to, so God comes to Abraham. At this time, his name is Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a blessed nation. 
and from you. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, will cur- I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth, some translations will say, and all the nations. In Greek, all the Gentiles. That's what Gentile means, nation. All the nations will be blessed through you. So all you Jews over there in Antioch, I want you to understand that this is your Messiah, David. All you non-Jews, look back to Abraham. He's been thinking of you from the very beginning. This is your Messiah. It's all about this. He's telling them, hey, Jews, hey, Gentiles, everybody that is reading this letter, this Messiah is your Messiah. But there's something even more unique that happens in this part of uh, of the genealogy that is so odd for them. Again, you got son of David, son of Abraham. But there's four people in this genealogy that make no sense whatsoever. And all four of them are women. Women were never in genealogies. They weren't supposed to be in the genealogies. Everything came through the father. So why would they be in there? So it makes no sense for a woman to be in there. So if it's in there, Matthew's doing something really important with these women. So let's look at these women that are in the genealogy of Jesus. The first one is Tamar. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, twins, whose mother was Tamar. Who is Tamar? Probably haven't heard many Bible lessons on Tamar. And in Sunday school, they skipped over this story. And I'll tell you why they skipped over the story. Because it's weird. So, parents, you might have to do some explaining after I tell you the story of Tamar. Judah was the father of the, of the, of the tribe of Judah. His oldest son was married to Tamar. Tamar was married, but her, the oldest son died. Didn't have any children. In this culture, if the oldest son died and didn't have any children, then the second son would have to have a child with the first son, brother's wife to produce a lineage for the first son. It's weird, but that's the way they did it. So the second son goes, okay, marries her, but then realizes if I have a, a son with her, the son will get everything of my brothers. But if I don't have a, a son with her, I get everything. So he does the act, but doesn't fulfill the commitment. Read the Bible if you need more details on what that means. So, the second son dies. The dad, Judah, goes, okay, no more of this. I'm not going to give my third son to, to, uh, to, to, to Tamar, because she must be some, she has some bad mojo not doing it. So, he says, hey, when he's old enough, he kind of pushes her aside and says, hey, Go live on your own, and when he's old enough, I'll call for you, and we'll get this, this arrangement fixed. So she, he gets, she leaves, he gets older, he doesn't call her. So Tamar realizes, he's not calling me back. I've been, I'm being ignored. So Tamar dresses up as a prostitute and gets on the road that Judah, she knows Judah's going to be walking down. Dresses as a prostitute, seduces Judah. Judah doesn't have enough money to pay for the prostitute. Mommy, what's a prostitute? Explain that to him later. 
Um, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> dresses up as a prostitute, Judah comes, doesn't have enough money to pay for, so he leaves his staff and his signet to show that he will send the money to pay for it. He sends the, uh, his, uh, his buddy with the, 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 to pay, the goats to pay for the, the, the prostitution. Read your Bible. It's all in there. I'm not making this up. <laughs> he, he, she, the, brother, the buddy gets there. No prostitute to be found. Then they find out Tamar's pregnant. Judah has a fit. How dare she? calls her in she's to be killed in front of everyone for this atrocity and she sends the staff and the signet back to him and says in genesis chapter 38 just to make sure you know i'm not making this up verse 25 it was while i she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying i am with child by the man whom these things belong judah recognized them and said she is more righteous than i inasmuch as I did not give her my, to my son, Selah. What? Matthew, you're writing about the Messiah, like our hero, the one that we're like really proud of, the one who is like really awesome in this epic story, and you're going to throw that into it? And there's a lot to it. I don't have time to dig in why it's so important that she did what she did. But from her, her two sons are in the genealogy, and Perez becomes the father of Hezron. Skip down a few lines, and then you get to this woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab. Many of you have heard the story of Rahab, because if you heard the story of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, before they go around the, battle, around the wall for seven days, and it comes crashing down, he sends spies in. And the spies are hid by a prostitute named Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute, is in the genealogy of Jesus. She has a son who uh, was Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, who was, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth has a beautiful story. There's a book in the Bible about her. She goes through the situation where she loses her husband. She comes from her homeland to Israel with her mother-in-law to serve her. She meets uh, this man named Boaz. And Boaz marries her. And you can skip over this, but there's an important piece that we miss. Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. Moabites were hated by Jews. There's a constant battle going between them. The Moabites were the ones who, when the Israelites came out of Israel tried to stop them by seducing them with their women. This is in the Bible. It's in Jesus' genealogy. There's no reason for a Moabite, a Gentile. Why would he put that in there? Let's jump down to the last one. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Everything about this genealogy is pointing to David. David, 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 look at David. Oh yeah, he slept with some other man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. The story is that as 
David was at his house, walking on the roof of his, of his home, supposed to be at war. He looks down and sees a woman bathing, and he's attracted to her. He calls her into his chambers, and they end up producing a child. The child tries to cover it up because Uriah is off at battle. There's no way uh, Bathsheba should be having a child. Brings him home, tries to convince him to, to, to sleep with his wife and convince they trick this. And Uriah's like, no, I'm, I'm supposed to be at battle. I'm going to go back to be with my men. So David sends him back and has him killed in battle. Matthew, what are you doing? You point, you take this entire genealogy to point us to the guy that we all love and adore and then point out his flaws, that he was an adulterer and a murderer. What is he doing? See, the genealogy, the origin of Jesus that Matthew uses is so that you understand that's my past, my history. And if I can redeem it, what can I do with your future? If I can redeem all this mess, what can I do with your mess? See, some of us are sitting here going, this is just a cute story. But you got to understand, this little baby in the manger came to redeem your story. He came to change everything about your past and your lineage and your genealogy and said to you, hey, you may be like Tamar and you've been ignored and you've been overlooked and you've been, uh, but you've been persevering and I see it and I'm going to redeem it. You, you may be like Rahab and you, you've been given of yourself. You've put yourself in a position where you've hurt yourself and you've hurt others, but you stood up at the right time. And he's going to redeem you. you. You may be like Ruth, who everything about her history says that she should be cast out. You don't have the right lineage. You don't have the right job. You don't have the right position. You, you don't have the right family. No, nothing is lined up for you, but <laughs> you're in his family. Maybe you're like Bathsheba, who was taken advantage by a king, by someone in authority over you, and you've been hurt, and you've been taken advantage of, but today he's saying your story makes you part of my family. That's Jesus' family, and he brings you today to say, I want you part of my family. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for an epic beginning your story. Thank you that you lived a life of purity. I thank you that you went to the cross to bear my weaknesses, my sins, my worries, my shame, my disappointment. Lord, I thank you that they put you in that, that tomb, but you resurrected. And you made your spirit available to me today. If you're here this morning, this is a moment where you're saying, you know what? I want to be part of that family. Jesus says, the only thing you need to do is turn to him. Repentance is what the Bible calls it. 
is a simple prayer of commitment, saying I'm turning my life, I'm doing it my way, because I'm following after you and following after you. You can pray in your own way, in your own words, what I'm about to pray. You can use my words. You can say them out loud or you can say them quietly, but would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I turn to you, my only source of salvation. I want to be in your family. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.